You are listening to the Demand Generation Show, Episode 9. Today, we are talking to HubSpot's worldwide leader of their business development team, all about how to create an effective sales development playbook and to implement sales development into your growth strategy. Let's get started. Hello and welcome. I don't know where you're listening to today's podcast from or when you're listening to it, but as I sit here recording it here just outside of Annapolis, Maryland in the Mid-Atlantic, I'm excited because we actually have a day of blue skies and sun. We've had about 17 consecutive days of rain and gray skies and ugliness, so a little bit of sun has brightened my day, uh, and being able to share with you today's interview is also really exciting. I had the opportunity to meet Justin Hyatt, who is HubSpot's head of their business development team, their business development reps. I'd imagine we call them SDRs or sales development reps. It's the same thing. Had the opportunity to meet Justin uh, a couple months ago and really learn what he's doing at HubSpot, leading an absolute world-class uh, biz dev team to create you know, growth at, at one of the fastest-growing companies on the planet, and he was nice enough to share his insights and his experience with building that sales development team and to talk about how companies that maybe aren't in the same spot as HubSpot, how you can take advantage of it as well. So that's what we're going to be listening to. I want to remind you, please subscribe to the podcast if you have a chance. You can go to iTunes. Of course, you can also go to www.imaginellc.com slash podcast. There you will see all the show notes, but you'll also have the opportunity to subscribe to the podcast and actually get notification in your email each time the podcast comes out. Some of you may be wondering, what am I doing interviewing the company most known for inbound marketing about the concept of sales development? And for those of you that are wondering, I'm going to point out two things. First off, Imagine's philosophy is and always has been sales development without inbound marketing is glorified cold calling, while Inbound marketing without sales development is frankly charity. But also, HubSpot provides a really great example of where we can learn from. They are one of the most effective sales organizations as well as the company that's probably capitalized the most from inbound marketing, not just because that's their product. So the opportunity to hear firsthand from HubSpot's lead on this area, I think is a great opportunity for all of us. So with that said, let's go ahead, let's get started and welcome Jason to the Demand Generation Show. Justin, thank you so much for joining us today on the Demand Generation Show. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Uh, first, thank you for having me, Doug. It's honestly a huge, huge pleasure to be on this. Um, my name is Justin. I am uh, head of business development globally here at HubSpot. And really my job is to run what is our sales development organization and act as a visionary and a strategist um, to help grow interest in inbound marketing, which is what HubSpot's all about. How did you come to head up sales development at the world's leading inbound marketing company? Uh, it's an interesting story. Um, I actually got into sales development as because I just had a strong desire to lead young people. Um, I'm really, really motivated by seeing people develop sales skills and, and turn into great salespeople. So I, I love working with young people in this first entry-level part of their 
career, and I actually came to do that at Oracle. Um, I transitioned into the technology space about seven, eight years ago. Uh, started as a rep and was fortunate enough to be successful and move my way up to management and then into a director position. Um, I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity at HubSpot when I knew they were looking for someone to lead uh, their business development organization, and I'm very, very fortunate to work here. I couldn't be happier in the role I have, so that is how I came to HubSpot. I, I got to say, Justin, I, I don't know that much about you, but one of my favorite things about you is somehow you excelled at Oracle and at HubSpot, and at least on the surface, those are, are certainly two companies that you don't think of as um, – being similar, if you will, other than that it's really cool technology companies that are doing great jobs, but uh, very, very fascinating. Um, let me ask you my favorite question for the audience to get to know you. Uh, what was the first concert you ever saw? Uh, the first concert I ever saw, I believe I was 12 years old. I went to a band, pretty heavy band called Rage Against the Machine, and I, I still love them to this day. Justin, I got to tell you, that has to be one of the top answers of a really cool band to see first ever rage. Not a lot of people can say rage against the machine was their first concert. Yeah, it was so, uh, it was an intense concert and every concert they have is, is so intense. Yeah, no great, great band. That's Tom Morello, isn't it? It is. Yep. Tom Morello. He's a Harvard grad and decided to drop or not a Harvard grad Harvard. Uh, he went to Harvard and decided to drop out and start a band. So he's, kind of near and dear to Cambridge, Massachusetts here where we're How about that? So Tom Snyder, uh, MIT, started Boston. We got Tom Morello with uh, Rage Against the Machine. Just to make you feel better, um, my first concert actually was I saw Kenny Rogers. I was probably about 12 too. Um, I would have <laughs> much rather seen Rage Against the Machine. So I've, oh. I've, I've, I've tried to make up for it. I've actually seen Bruce Springsteen more than 40 times and um, actually caught one of his shows when Tom Morello was uh, filling in as lead guitarist. There you go. Yeah, those guys, uh, they mix in. It's awesome to see musicians do that. So can't beat the boss. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, listening to Tom Morello, we're going off completely on a tangent, but listening to Tom Morello uh, do the Ghost of Tom Joe, something everybody yep. has to see. It's really a great, cool great, great song. Yeah. So let's move back to the point of our, uh, of our show today. <laughs> um, when you think about demand generation, I'm, I'm curious, how do you define demand generation? Because I find a lot of people use the term and it, it tends to mean something different. Uh, and then more importantly, why is it getting so much attention and why is it so important uh, for growing companies to pay attention to their demand generation process? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, on the surface, I think it's actually quite simple uh, to define. I mean, it's ultimately a co combined effort between the sales and marketing organization to generate interest in one's product or service, right? Um, I'm not like an enormous fan of the word, especially when I describe what uh, my organization does. I, I actually think of them of like, what is your actual role here and how, how do you make an impact out in the market? Um, and I, it's kind of the three E's for me. It's engage, educate, and evangelize. Um, the engagement part is simple, right? Like our, our sales development or demand generation people at any company are there to engage with people who may be interested. Um, I think the educate part is really, really important, and I, I think a lot of companies struggle with this. You know, we're, we're trying to be really valuable, share compelling content, and ultimately help the people we're engaging with. And then finally, evangelize. Obviously, um, we're very fortunate here at HubSpot to have a great brand, great customers um, that help promote our brand. But essentially, like, I like my people to come in saying, you know, your job every day is to, you know, spread the word of inbound and help people think differently and how they can fundamentally change the way they market and sell. And, 
you know, with, with that attitude, you know, the job actually gets really, really exciting. So I kind of think of it as not so much demand generation, but like, what, what are you really here to do? Like, what, what is your role for this company? And that's kind of how I look at it. Um, why it's really important ultimately is two reasons. One, like without interest in, in a product or a service, not many companies exist. And, you know, I think it's crucial for this type of role in any organization or company uh, to help be that catalyst for interest, to spark that interest. And then second, um, when I'm thinking of the sales organization, organization specifically, you know, we, uh, we, we want our salespeople to do uh, what they do best in that sell. So having a specialized group like sales development reps um, that actually are just completely focused on demand generation allows uh, more time to um, do proposals, run demos, do discovery, closing calls, uh, on-site needs, everything that a salesperson really wants to do, and that's ultimately so. Yeah, I, I love the three E's approach. I'm going to steal it. I probably won't give you credit for it, just FYI. Um, that's fine. You can point people back to the show when, when you tell them, yeah, I got it from you. Um, engage, educate, evangelize. What part of that role um, is, is the focus for, for sales development, business development reps? Uh, I think educate is, it, is at least here at HubSpot. And I think most companies are, are they understand the, the importance of this. Sales is changing, you know, with the internet, obviously, and even more so today, like the power is in the hands of the prospect. They likely have done research on your company. They've likely done research on your product or service. So they know what they're getting. So if they are to get engaged with, um, you know, a sales development person, someone who's actually sparking demand, they need some sort of value coming out of that conversation. And I think a lot of that is to educate, whether it's on the market, their business, what type of efforts they're doing, um, how our, our company or our product or our service can actually, or has helped people like them, telling a story. You know, worst case, like they walk around some sort of suggestion or tip to where they can go back to their business and say, you know what, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. I might try this. So that's kind of how we approach these engagements and, Really, if, if we treat every conversation as an opportunity to educate, uh, more likely than not, we're, we're going to get in the conversation we want to have as sales development people. So I think of the three, uh, that, that one is extremely, extremely important in my opinion. So that, that's a great point to, to go to. I don't know you and I have talked about this. That, that, um, and, and for the record, anyone listening, I'm going to probably go back and forth between sales development, business development, SDR, BDR, they all mean the same thing, at least for purposes of, of our conversation today. I, I know you and I talked about the fact that the role is, is oftentimes very misunderstood. So I'm, I'm going to set up that question and uh, follow up on what you just said by pointing out that on the surface, you've got HubSpot, the creator of Inbound, um, and you're running a world-class sales development team. For a lot of people, they think inbound marketing or inbound methodology and sales development, BDRs, are, are polar opposites. So how do you reconcile those philosophies? Why are they actually complementary, not repelling, if you will? Yeah, no, I think that's obviously a misconception that's out there. And it's maybe granted, I think, when people think of, you know, prospectors or demand, people that generate demand, it's cold calling, it's you know, 200 dials a day type of thing. And at least here at HubSpot, like it couldn't be any more different. Um, like we have uh, what I would hope people think is a world-class business development organization. But um, the key to an inbound marketing strategy is to 
uh, obviously create demand through the website. Um, but like, there's still a human element to this. Our marketing team is the best, like no doubt about it. Um, and we actually get a massive amount of leads, and that can actually be a problem when you're trying to convert all of that traffic, all of those leads uh, into customers. Like there is a qualification component of that, and having too many leads can can actually be an issue. So you know, the goal of our, our sales development organization is to kind of weed through them um, and qualify or in or qualify out people and get these leads into the sales reps' hands, like I said before, so they can actually spend time having the sales conversations, business conversations they want to have, and ultimately sell more. Um, I mean, data shows also that, especially when you have an inbound lead strategy, like response time is essential and crucial uh, to the success of engagement. Uh, I mean, the, the faster you can actually respond to someone who's coming in as a lead, uh, the more likely you are to engage with them, to have a conversation. So uh, we're really fanatical about that here at HubSpot. We're, we're trying to have the engagement when people are ready to have it. And by specializing and having a sales development organization that's really focused on these leads as they come in, uh, we're able to have more and more of those engagements because we're not bogged down on sales calls. We're not traveling. We're not on a plane, things, like, things of that nature. So I, I think on the surface, like you said, they, they can seem like polar opposites, but uh, in my my book, one can't go without the other. I think I wrote a blog on that subject, actually. <laughs> you did. Your your blog post is phenomenal, so Thank I you. will give you credit for that. I would Thank suggest you. everyone check it out. You know, I I think one of the reasons that people view this as as being opposite is we can't help it because it's a core part of, of of the role. But when we talk about SDR BDRs. We, you know, we talk about qualifying, we talk about quick response, we talk about, um, you know, working leads, et cetera. And, and we do put on that old hat of, oh, well, that's cold calling. Oh, that's, um, that's being pushy. Talk a little bit more about the fact that, you know, someone downloads something and that's really important. And that's, you know, that's a sign of engagement, but there is that myth that, okay, well, I've created a lead um, and I'll just wait for them to download the next thing and then they'll find their way and, um, and then they'll want to talk to me. Talk, talk to me about how you've seen that and, and how do you utilize, how, how your BDR team kind of bridges that to, to really bring that education to, to further increase the engagement and set them up for your sales team. Yeah, I mean, the, the glory of inbound marketing is when people are, let's say they come to your website and they convert, like that type of inbound lead, um, you're actually gaining intelligence on that person. And you're not gaining intelligence to be creepy or anything like that. You're gaining intelligence. So when you do pick up that phone or you do send that next email, that you can actually be of value. So, for example, here at HubSpot, we create a lot of really compelling ebooks that help people start to think about how they can develop an inbound marketing strategy, for example. Um, when people download something like that, maybe it's more specific around SEO, um, we take that knowledge and we basically go to market to them. We're proactive about it. And we typically go with the message of, you know, hey, I've, I've seen you downloaded this content. We hope you find it useful. Um, the reason for my call is A, B, and C. And it's usually things that are really in, uh, geared around the things that um, they're focused on within that ebook. So um, is optimization an issue for you? And if so, I have to imagine that generating more traffic to your website is is that something that's important? And then, you know, you try to get into that conversation. So it's ultimately a, the role of it is to get into the conversation to see if you actually can even be of help uh, and be consultative and um, just really looking to have a 10-minute conversation. 
Yeah, I, I think if people begin to think of that qualification as you're qualifying through education, they begin to get what the sales development, business development process is really about. On that yeah, point, exactly. and on, on that second E, I know one of the challenges that a lot of people have in building an effective program, and I know one of the concerns I get when I talk to companies about the process is the the model BDR is uh, young, inexperienced, entry level into the sales world. Um, that's not a hundred percent true, but that's the model today. How do you take somebody who's young, who hasn't had that experience, who hasn't been um, a marketer at a mid-sized company? How do you get them so that they can educate a marketer who's been around for twenty years? Uh, that's tough. I mean, I think it starts with your ability to, to hire the right people. Um, I'm a huge proponent, you know, this of hiring talent, uh, especially into these roles. Like talent to me is far and away more important than any type of internship or professional experience if they're, you know, a year or two out of school. Um, so people just naturally have the ability to, to educate. Um, you know, some attributes that we look for when we're actually hiring people are, people's intellectual curiosity level, like their ability to tell a compelling story. We actually test for these things when we interview people. Um, and then with it, obviously, you need to have a really good, um, you need to have good things to share. You need to have good things to educate with. So whether it's your stuff or third-party things, um, you know, here at HubSpot, we're always sharing content. We're always sharing ideas with people. So I think it's a combination of getting the right person to d deliver that message to educate um, someone that, people will be bought into and, and let their guard down with, and then being very highly supported by just great, compelling content to help educate even further. Yeah, people forget they can use the, the very same inbound content that got you the lead can be the content that fuels the uh, BDR to be able to, to take that leadership position. Absolutely. I, I always say find people that are really, really curious and fascinated by business, and I promise you in a very short period of time, they'll figure out how to have good conversations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, people that are just really curious and then intellectually curious, um, they they just have a way and naturally of just having people let that guard down and just open up. Um, and people, like, they know when they're talking to someone who really actually cares. Like, I really want to learn more about what you do. I want to learn what your challenges are. I want to see if we can actually help you. Um, that comes across, especially when, you know, you're on the phone. That's what people are listening for. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think one of the interview questions we should all start asking is, you know, how often did you get in trouble when you were five years old because your mom told you to stop asking why? Yeah, yeah that is the best question you can ask, why. <laughs> when in doubt, ask why. Um, so let's go to my favorite part of the, the process because I certainly echo that that hiring talent is the most important thing. Actually, one of the things I love about the whole sales development process is you really can hire talent and teach the rest. Um, but I've also found, or I guess I should say, and I've also found that another unique component to this is while the talent is an important part, you know, if, if you're hiring a field salesperson, an account executive, and you've got a good person and they're in a bad system, the good person is going to counteract that system and they'll still be able to do okay. My perception, and I don't know if we agree 100% on this, is a good person that's not in an equally good system is going to struggle. And the key to that system for me is the playbook. 
So why don't you talk a little bit about your perception? How important is that process to people being successful? And then what is the role of the playbook from your perspective? No, I, I actually agree with you 100%. I think and the younger, the more experienced someone is, the more they are going to potentially fail within a broken or a, um, an inadequate system. So I actually really, really agree with you there, especially this day and age as we bring young people on. Like culture is extremely important. And a lot of what has to do with culture is their ability to be successful within the system. Um, so a lot of my job actually here at HubSpot is actually to make sure that we do have a sound system that we have good process in place and that these guys are enabled every single day to come in, do their job without hitting any barriers or roadblocks and hit their number. Um, and, you know, oftentimes I'm spending time removing those roadblocks. So um, a play, the playbook's a big part of it. I, I would agree with you there. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of companies just struggle with creating a clear, concise, executable playbook. And how I kind of view the playbook is like if I were to go on sabbatical for a month, and we have a few new people start, they go through training, like, are they going to know how to do their job? And are they going to have the resources and the guidance to do their job while I'm gone? And like, the playbook should answer that. And um, it shouldn't ever replace training. I think training and onboarding is equally, if not more important than the playbook. Um, but the playbook is it's necessary. There has to be a playbook um, that these guys can follow. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, you're Bostonian, so I'm assuming you're a Patriots fan or something horrible like that. You know what? I am from Minneapolis, Minnesota, so oh, unfortunately, I'm a Vikings fan. Vikings, still you, getting over, go. still okay. getting over the game. <laughs> um. So Mike Nolan's the head coach in in Minnesota, isn't he? Uh, Mike Zimmer. Yes. Mike Zimmer. I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, there we go. So yeah, I, I think just to kind of carry that that playbook analogy out. Um, and it's actually interesting. I've never, um, I've never made this connection. I've always equated it to football because we use the term the playbook. So obviously you've got the talent. The talent has to be the right talent that fits into the system. The system mm -hmm. defined by the playbook lays out what the different plays are that ensures everyone's making the same reads. And then there's an awful lot of coaching that takes place. But if the playbook's not clearly articulated or in alignment with the talent, then the coaching, which is crucial is going to be really ineffective because everyone's going to have their own interpretation of what the play was supposed to be. So those right. three things really come together. And I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Just how important ongoing coaching is. I, you know, I'm going to ask you what questions you, I'm sorry, what mistakes you've seen in the past. I know one of the biggest mistakes I see every day is we go, Oh, well, they're only calling people. It's, it's not that hard. So we put them on the phone. Um, and then, you know, that's about it. We never actually yeah. work with them and train them and, um, and and put them through that process. What are the keys to building um, an effective playbook? So imagine if you would, I'm an executive, I'm a senior sales leader at a $40 million company, some type of industrial company, or um, maybe a manufacturer, maybe a distributor, that doesn't particularly matter. Um, and I want to build that playbook. Where, where do I start? What are the keys to, to building a, a good solid playbook? Yeah. So I'll obviously answer this in terms of like building a sales playbook or sales development playbook, uh, regardless of the position, I think it all starts with a sound strategy. Um, like what is the purpose of this role and how does this position align with um, your go to market strategy with your prospects? How does it align to the greater company goals? Like having a playbook that clearly outlines that in the beginning actually gets people excited about the impact 
they can make in a company. I think a lot of playbooks I see just jump into, all right, you're on a call with a prospect. Let's let's talk about how you talk to them and what questions you ask. But I think understanding their purpose in the greater organization in sales and even in the company, like the impact they can make and having that very well defined is really, really important. Um, from there, there should just be a clear outline of their role and what's expected of them every day and what essentially their job is to be day to day. Um, from there, to your point, like that's where um, the training and the onboarding starts to mold into this, and that's when you know best practices, sales skills, sales methodologies, messaging, all of that starts to come into play and needs to be a part of the playbook. Um, and that's where like a manager, for example, would use this playbook to coach and and develop their reps. Um, and then from there, it's you know, what resources are available for this person to be more successful, them understanding where they can go outside of this, I think is really, really important. And then ultimately, I think the playbook needs to be clear, needs to be concise, and needs to be executable. Um, it needs to have a component of inspection, and it also kind of needs to be its own living, breathing thing that um, needs to get attention, and it has to be organic, and it has to be ever-changing and evolving, and it, it needs attention from everybody. So that was, was a little vague at times, but that's kind of how I would think of, at least think of the playbook and, and what I would need to put into it, no matter what organization I'm in, as I look to develop it. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by how often a manager meets with a salesperson for whatever purposes, and it's like the playbook doesn't even exist. You know, imagine if you went and met with your position coach and you didn't have your playbook. It, it would be you, you'd either be losing games or you'd have the wrong playbook. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you asked, like, you were going to ask him what's the biggest mistake. So the biggest number one mistake is just simply not having a playbook. Like, again, if you were to, you were to, you're the sales manager, you're the sales leader, and you have a brand new person and they just went through training. Now they're about to do their job and you leave for a month. Like, do they have something kind of like it's cliche, but they're Bible. Like, do they have something to turn to that? Um, can help them be successful. And, and that's really the purpose of the playbook is to support them. It's, it's ultimately uh, a support system for them to understand what they need to do every day. So I'm, I'm going to violate the rules of uh, podcast show interviews. I'm going to kind of ask you a yes or no question and then count on you to, to expand from that. I think that one of the things that prevents a lot of organizations from building that playbook is that they're so focused on making sure that the playbook is right, that it's just such a big task to make sure that it's right. Whereas, and this is building off of the point that the biggest mistake is simply not having a playbook. If you have the wrong playbook and you use it, you're going to realize that it's the wrong playbook, but because you're using it, you're going to make it better. And if you think of that playbook as an iterative process, not a beginning and an ending process, you're going to get where you want to go a lot faster and you're going to drive those results. From your perspective, does that make sense? And how, how do you apply that iterative process if you do um, to your business? Yeah, I think, I think it definitely makes sense. Um, you don't know what you don't know, right? So if you don't have any type of playbook in place, I would argue that you, how do you even know um, what's working and what's not working and what your people are doing. You know, if you're a mid-sized company or even an enterprise-type company and you don't have a playbook and you have 200, 300 people like, how, and you're leading that organization, like, how do you even know what your people are going to market with every day? You can't right. sit on the, on the phone with them every day. So 
Yeah, I think any form of a playbook is obviously positive. I think if, if there's someone out there listening to this who hasn't ever started this, uh, it's a process. It's going to be a time investment. It's not something you can, you know, spin up over time. Fortunately, because of the Internet, because of great companies um, that do this, like there's great things out there to, to read and research to get you started on this. And um, I've also actually taken an approach of empowering my people to help develop it. You know, the, the sales development or business development reps here at HubSpot, they're on the front lines. They're listening to people every single day about their business. So I actually have a group here where we um, revise the playbook and we come up with better best practices and we revisit things we're doing and making sure that they're working. As sales evolves, you know, our playbook needs to evolve. Um, so, yeah, just kind of crowdsourcing it and making it a process for the whole organization is actually something that works really, really well and getting everyone on board with it. And that's going to ensure that people actually follow it as well. So why don't we go back and tell, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the biggest mistakes you already shared the biggest mistake, but what are some of the most common or biggest mistakes that you see made um, with how companies are trying to implement this uh, hot tactic? Um, I think right now there's just a ton of amazing technology out there. Um, for people to, to use. I think the a mistake I think a lot of companies make is they actually try to automate the prospecting process or they try to automate the sales process. Um, and that's a huge, huge mistake at this point. I mean, people are looking for the human element in sales, not going away. Uh, it's something you just can't automate. And they eventually rely on too much technology and, and rely on it to a fault. So that's something I definitely see. Also, I think uh, I see organizations do a lot of gut checking and, and making decisions based on their gut. Um, we're very fanatical about being data-driven here at HubSpot, whether it's around um, our go-to-market strategy, how we're compensating our business development reps, what types of lead we're working. Like uh, Everything is supported by data, and I think uh, there's a big opportunity for companies to be more data-driven. Um, in terms of like the personnel and the people, obviously we talked about not having a playbook um, and not knowing what behaviors are going on there. I also think setting the wrong performance indicators uh, is a big mistake that people make. Like it, it promotes the wrong behavior. So if, if you understand the behaviors you want to have happen from your sales development team, and set them on it and, and have those key performance indicators clearly aligned with those. Um, those would be some of the very, very common mistakes I hear, uh, especially as I talk to other companies who are are looking for some guidance from HubSpot and kind of how we do things. Um, very, very common themes I hear a lot. Justin, I'm going to take that last answer and I'm going to put it on repetitive loop um, and then just like play it on one of my web pages and just have it go <laughs> on and on and, and send people there. Um, I, I think I had two conversations today uh, with companies where I had to explain to them just because you can automate something doesn't mean that you should. Um, and and just the importance of the human element in prospecting and 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 building that all out. I'm I'm glad I've got someone else's voice that I can share on that. Point. Absolutely. I mean the the way we really view technology here, we're very technology savvy here at HubSpot. I would think uh, or hope um, we use technology to make people more efficient. That's really the the end goal of any technology that we use or we invest in. And a lot of HubSpot's technology is geared around that. Um, but it, it doesn't automate anything. We're just trying to give people more time to do what they want to do, and that's to have meaningful conversations with prospects and right. educate and evangelize and engage, right? Um, right. So that's, that's how we technology here. So I think, again, people make that mistake like, oh, I, we, let's automate as much as we can. 
Um, but then that human element goes away, and that's it's a big mistake I see. It's ultimately your your engagements turn into sales spam, um, and and a lot of that noise is out there uh, on social media right now. So you don't want to fall into that trap. Or or you miss the biggest opportunities. You know the number of people that are trying to use some form of lead scoring, where they're saying, well, if you've downloaded X number of this. And I go, well, what about the person that was actually thinking about things, looking things over? They downloaded some stuff from the other from other sites. They're really serious about it. And they download one thing from you. Well, your lead scoring system is saying that, you know, they're not important. But if you turn that lead over to an SDR, BDR, they're on the phone with them. And all of a sudden they find out that, you know, the budget's already been allocated and they're trying to figure out what the right solution is. Exactly. You know, and in that, in that attempt to to be efficient instead of to enable and, and to support, you end up costing yourself an awful lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hey, I know I've taken a lot of your time. Just a couple more real quick questions. I am curious um, from your perspective, having run very large teams um, for both Oracle and for, uh, and for HubSpot, what's the difference between running a large team and you know, running a much smaller team? You know, I'm a mid-market company. Maybe I'm going to have one, two on the outside, three, BDR, SDRs, what, how do I have to manage that difference? How do, how do I do that? You know what? I, people might differ with my opinion, but I don't think they're all that different. Um, when you think about building a playbook, like, is it the same for five people than it would be for 500? Yeah, arguably, yes. Like, as long as you're focused on, you know, this, the same segment or the same market, right? Um, like, does your candidate profile change if you have an organization of 500 or five? I would hope not. I would hope you are not lowering the bar in terms of who you're looking to hire and bring on to fit your system, uh, whether you have 500 people or five people. So I actually really don't think it makes a difference. I think a lot of the best practices out there that um, people have and best practices around sales development can be applied to any size company, any size team. Um, obviously, the bigger the group, and I've uh, worked with bigger groups, uh, it's harder to pivot, it's harder to like, make change. Uh, but aside from that, you know, in, in terms of just running the business, executing the business, taking care of your people, providing them a playbook, things like that, um, you know, I really don't see a huge difference based on, you know, company or, or team size or organization size. I'm, I'm actually going to echo that. I, I picked up an interesting distinction here. I agree with you. I don't think it's any different. And I think that that's a double-edged sword. Um, you know, so if you're not a large company, the idea, well, this could only work for large companies is ridiculous. It can absolutely work for you. But it does take the commitment and it takes, well, you don't have to train and coach the same number of people. It does take some of that same commitment that the larger company has that just because you've got one or two people doesn't mean that your process can be less thought out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, though, a, a difference is obviously larger enterprise type companies have the resources they have. Sure money to invest in this where a smaller company might not. So once the system is placed, I don't think it's any different. Correct. Putting together the system can be drastically different. And, um, you know, if you are a smart, small company looking to do this, uh, you might need to seek help to actually do it. Um, you might not be able to do it at this point in your growth uh, until you scale up, you know, enough to actually own it. But um, once the system is in place, I, I really don't see a huge difference. I think company, no matter what size, can really benefit uh, from executing a uh, sales development model. So I'm going to leave you with, with my last question today, and it's really going to be what I find to be the biggest mistake that gets made. 
And I actually had a conversation earlier today with a uh, with a, a prospect that I'm working with. We're doing an assessment, and I was talking to to one of their BDRs, and you know, I was asking the question, "What frustrates you?" And the answer was, "Well, you know, it, it kind of gets to me sometimes when, you know, the salesperson closes the sale, and they're you know treated like a returning hero, and kind of nothing gets said to me." And, and the guy's like, "I don't really want to complain," but nothing really gets said to me. And I was the guy that did all the hard work that got it to the point where the salesperson could do that. And, and what I find is, um, you know, I know Kyle Porter at Sales Loft calls it glorifying the role. Um, a lot of times we we forget to treat that SDR like the hero that they are. Um, and we don't keep them motivated because we are thanking everybody else and forgetting that role because it's not directly tied to, to revenue. So how have you learned to keep the, the prospectors, your BDRs, how do you keep them motivated um, and how do you make them feel like heroes so that they perform at their peak? Uh, that is a great, great question. And um, I've seen it time and time again. Um, a good sales culture is critical to any company. Um, good company culture is critical. Um, you can't single out people if you're going to create a great sales culture. Like as you grow and you scale and you start to specialize roles, whether it's, you know, sales engineers, if you work at a tech company doing demos, sales development reps, sales reps, like um, they're, they're probably never going to get created equal. I mean, sales reps get paid more for a reason. Like they're, they carry this quota they need to close. Um, but I think as, as you celebrate success and you recognize performance, you do need to create an equal. Um, and if anyone's an advocate of that in sales development land, it's Kyle Porter. He, he does a great job of it and has a phenomenal culture because of it. So um, I, I think you, you just need to be very, very cognizant of all people that were involved in it. You might even want to be recognizing the manager because they stepped in and handled a critical objection. I think um, if you're leading an organization, I think maybe that question geared towards someone who is in charge to make sure that that culture is positive and people are being recognized, you, you want to make sure that um, you recognize everybody. There are really little things, especially working with younger professionals, that they recognize. And um, build that, that little stuff can build up over time. So uh, retaining talent is crucial and building a great culture is a big part to ensure that you do that. And recognition, bringing them up on stage at a big company event, um, compensating them fairly, things like that are, are really, really pivotal and should be part of your strategy should be part of your playbook as, as a leader. You know, it's, it's amazing what a $50 American Express gift card can do to say, hey, way to really grind it out there this week. Go out, have dinner on us this, this weekend. Um, yeah. They come, actually, they come back I, on Monday and they want to take over the world. It's, it's very funny. Yeah. When I was at Oracle, um, my generation is a little different than the ones I hire now, but I've done a lot of reading on millennials. When I was at Oracle, I, um, my boss at the time was awesome. And myself, I think we did a survey. We we're looking to see, like, what, how were people motivated? Like, what ultimately motivated them? And I, I can't remember the exact stats, but it was pretty heavily weighted towards, I just want to be recognized. Yeah. Like, they don't want to get paid more. They didn't want a gift card, although that's a good idea. They just wanted to be recognized for their work. That's um, a great point. And, yeah, we just we started going out of our way to recognize little things, even little wins on the floor, recognizing people in front of their peers, like, they love that kind of that, that pseudo pat on the back. So yeah, that, that little stuff really, really makes a difference and will help you build a, a really sound sales culture.
Justin, I could be, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff, and I'm sure when I'm back up in Boston, we will. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for uh, sharing your insights. Um, I am definitely walking away with with the three E's and some of your points on on the playbook and and keeping the team motivated. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Doug. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. I want to thank Justin for joining us again today. Uh, some really great insights into the keys of building an effective sales development program for any type of company, for any size companies. Here are some of my takeaways. Uh, one, I've believed for you know quite a long time since we've been implementing it ourselves, just the absolute importance of a playbook. You know, I find, especially with companies that are smaller, that are not growing full-scale sales development teams, if you will, you know, sometimes they spend a little less time focused on that playbook. They maybe don't formalize it. They don't complete it. They figure, hey, it's one person, two people. We can manage it, if you will. And, and I just want to emphasize, and I, and I think Justin um, got that point across as well, that's just a mistake. Um, it's actually one of the challenges, I think, in building a sales development function, which is there's really not that much difference between what it takes to be successful with one sales development rep or, or BDR and what it takes to be successful with 50. So make sure you're spending time focused on that process, focused on the playbook. Also, be really clear on who you're hiring. That's the other takeaway. And, and actually, some of my conversations with Justin reminded me of just how important that piece is. Not that I didn't think it was important before, but you really need the right motivation, the right type of person who you plug into the right system. And that's what leads to success in the process. Uh, and I'd add as the third takeaway, make sure that you celebrate the actions that they take. SDRs, BDRs need to feel like heroes. And especially in companies that don't have a formal function, uh, they often frankly get overlooked. Um, and that's one of the reasons that prospecting doesn't get the attention that it should get is we all get excited so much by winning sales. And you know, no surprise there, but we forget to celebrate that that effort that came in up front that made the opportunity happen. So thanks again, Justin. Really awesome to hear what a large company is doing and how they've taken all of the concepts that we talk about here on the Demand Generation Show and really applied it to um, achieve insane results. For those of you that are not familiar with HubSpot, they're, they're such a great story because, well, not only because they're successful, but if you take a look at how they started and what they did and, and you know, the story is so fresh – you really see how an organization went from nothing to uh, $200 million in sales. Um, and whether your goal is $200 million or to go from two to 20 or, or 20 to 50 or whatever that number is to, to really be able to see how it's possible and what you have to do. Not easy by any means, uh, but certainly um, a realistic goal if you're serious about it. That's today's show. Uh, reminder, you can get the show notes, you can get the summary at www.imaginellc slash podcast. Just look up episode nine, our interview with Justin Hyatt. Um, please, if you have any questions, uh, if you have any comments, if you'd like us to do something in the future, if there's a topic that you want us to cover, email me at doug at imaginellc.com. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, uh, if you subscribe to the podcast or if you have any comments, we'd love to hear that as well. So that wraps up episode nine. Uh, we have some exciting changes that we're going to be making to the podcast show, uh, to how we're doing things, 
Uh, we've, we've completed our first nine episodes. We took a step back. We really looked at what's working, what's not working. Um, our goal moving forward is to really increase the take-home value. So we've got some changes planned for that. So don't miss episode 10. Until next time.